When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome back to Trot's Life, and this is a chat I've been looking forward to doing someday on this show at some time. And to be honest, to talk about a horse like Mary's Idol and to Brian Healy is actually, it's, it's, I shouldn't swear on radio, should I? So I won't say what I'm thinking. It's an honour and it's a bloody honour, I'm going to say it anyway. Brian, mate, first and foremost, tell us how are you and whereabouts are you at the moment? Uh, I'm very good, thanks, Toby. Um, I'm in, I live in Queensland now. I'm retired now and uh, just got a couple of horses for an interest. Yeah, a couple of horses, and I reckon one of them goes all right too, doesn't it? Uh, Pink Alars, yeah. sharing her with my daughter and son-in-law. Yeah, she got me interested in the game again. Yeah, it's bloody great, actually. But, mate, we've got you on, and we're going to go right back and through the journey of your harness racing career. So your father, Rick, was he in harness racing from a young age, or did it start in his older years, or when did he get involved in harness racing? Uh, He'd have probably been about 40, I'd say, um, uh, when he got involved. And he, he always loved his horses back in the old days on the farm. And um, he got interested and um, started training a few. And uh, all the neighbours thought he was wasting his time messing around with horses. But um, yeah. it didn't work out like that. No, it certainly didn't. And look, I don't know how old you are. I'm not going to put you to the sword, but... In the 50s, I reckon a few good things came along. And in 1958, he purchased a mare called Yendara Hall, who's a name that not many would be familiar with. But what she's the, the chain of events that started with that purchase is what we'll go through today, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. He bought her at the yearling sales and um, he broke her in and she broke in very nice, but she went lame in the hock and um, never raced. And um, and then she was the mother of Mary Miss, of course. Yeah, only two years later, Mary Miss gets born. And uh, I believe she was a nice little pacer, but uh, George Gath said she might be a better trotter. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she won a, a two-year-old pacing race at the showgrounds. Then a couple of weeks later, she um, won a trotting race at Geelong. George was a great man with the trotters, of course. And... Um, it wasn't hard to um, change her gait over. And tell us a bit more about her career. And she won 30-odd races and went through one heats of the Inter-Dominions and everything. I think she won two heats of the Inter-Dominion in Sydney in 66. And um, didn't have much luck in the uh, final. It was a very wet night and just didn't have much luck. And... Uh, Neville Gath drove her up there and into Dominion and uh, she uh, won a lot of free-for-alls at the showgrounds and um, she was a beautiful mare, really. Was 
just as a body of work, when you look at all the progeny that's descended from her, the fact she won 30 races, she's nearly been in history a better horse than Mary's Idol in many regards, has she not? Oh, she has, really. Yeah. There's a huge um, family out there in Australia now that have come from the Mary Miss line, you know. It's amazing how there's uh, this champions popping up every now and again that are related somewhere along the line. Yeah, yeah, I would say there's no better trotting family or mare that that ever that horses have descended from, and we could name so many of them. There's something about Marys, etc., and they're still, as you say, they just bob up every couple of years. There's another real good horse, and you look into its breeding, and sure enough, there's Mary Miss three, four generations back. Yeah. You sort of think, oh, the breed might be a bit finished now, and then, and then one or two real good ones pop up again, and and it's just amazing because no. Most families uh, peter out in time. So during the... Got, they got stronger, you know. Yeah. So ju- during the 60s, you're a, what, a teenager and growing up and going to the trots with this great horse, Mary Miss, and are you getting getting well and truly bitten by the bug? Oh, yeah. My, my, I was, yeah. My father used to make me ride a pony beside him when I'd come home from school at night and... I used to get a bit sick of doing that, but um, <laughs> he kept at me and he used to take us down to the local uh, primary school in the horse and cart sometimes in the winter when it was wet and he'd tie one horse on the side and and uh, take us to school. Well, well, that would have been a jog trip for a couple of them, wouldn't it? So, oh, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. He'd chain the wheel up and uh, go and get the paper at the local shop and... The horses would have to just stand there. Good education for them. They don't get it nowadays. No, they don't. They're a different sort of breed nowadays. So where, where, tell us about where all, all this is happening in Manu, I assume. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Now, 1972. Uh, we had a farm, wheat farm oh, yeah. there and, um, yeah. We just, we, we just lost you yeah. for a sec there. Keep going about the wheat farm. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, we were always on a farm there and just um, bred and trained a few as a hobby. But, of course, Maori Miss, every time you broke one in, it was good, you know. She left a lot of classic winners. It made it pretty pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And then in 1972, the fifth foal, Mary's Idol, I, just, I did want to ask you where... The name Mary Miss came from. It's pretty obvious, sort of where Mary's Idol came from. But why was it Mary Miss? Well, um, Yandara Hall came from New Zealand, and um, and uh, Rick tried to name Mary Miss a few times and didn't get a name. Then he said to to him in harness racing, "Oh, you guys named the mare then," and uh, they named her Mary Miss. <laughs> and then Mary's Idol, the foal, obviously flowed on from that. That's right, yeah, yeah. To, who who broke him in, Mary's Idol? Uh, we broke him in at home, yeah. We, we used to break him in and do everything with him. Did, did he have that stride, like the pronounced stride and from day one, or was it just, just there and inherited in Well, him? We, we broke him in as a pacer, and, he, <laughs> and we were pacing him. Yeah. And... He was just a big leggy type of colt and 
didn't look anything special at that stage. And then he used to tie up in the muscles and, and um, we had trouble with him tying up as a two-year-old and we took him out one day and said, oh, we won't hobble him today. We'll just take him out without the hobbles. He'd probably tie up, you know. And, and we took him out and thought, geez, no, he can trot a bit, you know. And <laughs> we'd had other good horses there in work that to compare with and and it was only probably about a week and he was... Um, run against another good horse we had called Mary Monarch. He won the Trotters Championship in Melbourne and the Derby and he was running with him within a week, you know. And competitive. And we knew we knew we had something different then. He <laughs> was only a three year old. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So take us back. His first start was at Globe Derby, which seems intriguing. Did, was, was there another horse in that night in a feature race or something and he went as a travelling companion? No, um, there was only about two, three-year-old races back in those days for trotters. And he'd sort of missed them, I think. And you were allowed to race out of your class over there oh, yeah. as a three-year-old where you couldn't in Victoria. So we finally had him over his tying up troubles and thought, gee, we better find a race for him in case he gets crook again with his tie-up. And, and we took him over there. Barry Delaney, a steward I had on a couple of weeks ago now, he was there working on the night, and he says that he lost oh, yeah. he lost three, four hundred metres that night and caught him and beat him. Mm. Oh, it was, it was ridiculous, really. Yeah. Um, I thought, oh, well, he'd be lucky to tack on, sort of, you know, and then he <laughs> caught up to him, and he was going that quick, he sort of, Went out four and five deep on the last bend and just went around them as if they were standing still, you know, one one easily. What what were you thinking sitting in the car? Like, were, were you just thinking, oh, my God, this horse is just something else? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we knew he was pretty good, but, um, of course, when you put them on the track, they've got to, um, yeah. they got to uh, prove they are, but um, we didn't expect him to do that sort of thing. Did he go better at the races than he did at home, or was it much of a muchness? No, it was probably much of a muchness, and um, we didn't sort of clock him much at home, really, but um, we did clock him once in stall on the track in there. We had the American sulky, and we were getting him ready to, supposed to go in the time trial at Canberra, I think it was, and <clears throat> the pegs were out on the track, and he... And in the American card, he went 157 outside the pegs in the half-mile track. At stall. And it was pretty unheard of. Oh. He'd probably be two and a half to three carts wide all the way. Yeah. Yeah, so he's run, say, 155 and a half if he was on the pegs, for example, no. something like that. Oh, oh it'd be better. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Ta and the tracks have improved that much now. Yeah. They'd go so much better on these tracks nowadays, those type of horses. Big strike. Now, he he had another start as a three-year-old at Kilmore, and then he had a long spell, quite a long spell between three and four. Was that something to do with the tying up issues? Yeah. Yeah, um, must have been something to do with that. Now, um, um, yeah, he just, he didn't go that great at Kilmore in his second start, but he won. yeah. Yeah. And then um, he came back. I think we raced him in stall, I think, and he won there. But 
he must have had tie-up trouble again with him then. Took a long time. He sort of grew out of it, really. Yeah. He he won his first eight races. His first defeat, he started off a 60-metre handicap against Pacers. So, and he, <clears> raced, <throat> he raced a number of times against Pacers. We'll get to a few of them in specifics later, but... Was that just the opportunity to give him a hit out, was it, racing against the Pacers? Oh, well, that just wasn't the opportunity for trotters like there is nowadays. It's amazing, the races for the trotters now, you know. Yeah. Um, and there was no money for the trotters. The um, Pacers races were worth a lot more, and um, he sort of soon got on his handicap in trotting races, really. It's better to run with the Pacers than... Um, be starting off 50 or 60 metres behind, you know. Well, he wouldn't have known either, would he? He would have been standing up the tapes, not looking at another horse, saying, well, you're a pacer. That's not <clears> fair. <throat> they were all just other horses to him, weren't they? Oh, yeah. That didn't matter. No, no. Yeah. 19th of November, 1977. You might remember the date. You may not, but you'll remember the race. Uh, he was the first Australian mm. trotter to break two minutes. He went 159.3. And I'll tell you what, having watched a replay of that race last night, you got checked a little bit at the start. You were three, four wide at the start, worked to the front. If, yeah. he, if he had a time trial that night, I was going to say to you, what time would he have run? But I think you've nearly already oh, answered this. Oh, yeah. Well, he, he didn't go up to the gate, really. He drew six. Yeah. And at, you, you sort of lose a second out there, out in six. Yeah. And he didn't go up to it, so he probably lost another second then. Interfered, he probably lost three seconds or more. Yeah, uh, yeah horse galloped in front of him in the first bend. But uh, never never really got another opportunity. Never run in a mile race again. You, you, you just sat there on him in those races. He'd be 40 metres in front. I realise there's no need to hard drive him, really. But he just seemed to do <clears> it. <throat> himself, you know, like he just didn't seem to need any urging. He just was happy just to run. Uh, he just it was a bold going horse and he just loved his loved his work and um, you know, he just wanted to roll along. 1978 Hamilton Cup, a Pacers Cup. And now it's unfathomable in these days to think a trotter would go into a pacing cup for starters. You started off 50 metres behind. That's that's just next-level mind-blowing to us these days. But you beat them as well. Take us through winning a race like the Hamilton Cup, which would have been like a half a hometown cup, I suppose, in a way, Hamilton just down the road, to go to win a pacing cup. And obviously there, there was some financial incentive to enter him in races like this. Must have been an amazing result that day. Yeah, well, that was, that was probably one of his best runs, really, I think, at the Hamilton Cup, really. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the horses just seemed like there was something wrong with them. <laughs> he just ran away from them that easy and was amazing. Were, were you stepping back, like, the, there's photos of him in the pub at Manu and the papers and everything must have been you know, all over him, and how did you cope with all of that? Well, it, it wasn't that easy, really. I mean, we weren't professional trainers and drivers, and we were only farmers going to the races occasionally, so it was um, it was a bit stressful, really. 
and the pressure, you know, when you won 24 races straight, as they were building, you know, 10 wins, 11 wins, 12 wins, was there almost more and more pressure all the time? And was it almost like you'd sort of wanted to get the monkey off the back almost and just, just get beaten in a Pacers race like the Hamilton <clears throat> Cup, where he's not disgraced just to stop that run? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, but, um, uh, oh, well, really, the, he probably should never have been beaten in his life, really. He's had a couple of problems in a couple of his early defeats. Well, I think he won nine straight and then two seconds. And, yeah. And then 24, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so But anyway, there's always going to be something go wrong. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> there always will be something go wrong. Now, the Queensland pacing championship what it's known as today or the blacks are fake it actually is today it was the queensland pacing championship for a long time but before that it was basically called the sir clive Ur. i think that's how you pronounce the, the second name clive you are yeah you are yeah for people to understand this is you are. Th- th- these are the best paces in australasia assembled you had horses like roma henover a horse called Paleface Adios, who they built a statue of, won 108 pacing races. He won the 75 and 77 Sir Clive Ewer. And a horse called Rip Van Winkle, who ultimately beat him in the final, had 74 starts for 50 wins and $300,000 in the 70s. We're not talking <laughs> average horses. You took him up against the best pacers in the land, who should technically be 50 metres better on an any given day and put him in the Queensland Pacing Championship was again, was that just chasing some prize money with him? Well, it was really, yeah. That was worth, you know, you know probably three times what a trotting race would be worth. And um, it was a big risk, I suppose, to take him up there and um, and do that. But anyway, he, um, he proved to that he could do it, you know. I don't know if we'll ever see it try to do that again with the Pacers. No, we, we won't. Don't worry. So there was two rounds of heats. He won both heats. He won both heats against these horses, and he led into the top of the straight in the final. And Rip Van Winkle was a superstar. Like he was like Lockenvar art. These are the sort of you know. But he was like. Bowtie, Lock and Varart, uh, you know, Shaker Maker. He was a, a, the absolute star of the day. It took him to run him down. You, you you almost won that race. Yeah, oh yeah, it was, it, um, it was amazing, really. Um, <laughs> probably, if it had been on a different track, we might have done a little bit better too. It was a very hard track to get around, though. Yeah. They raced the wrong way around and the corners were very tight and you sort of had to get on the fence to get around it, you know. It was pretty difficult to um, handle the bends. <clears throat> and he'd done a lot of work to get to the front then. Yeah. And uh, But anyway. You get... If there had been another lap, do you reckon he would have won the race? Oh, I don't know, but uh, uh, they've probably both had enough at the finish. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I just It just looked like he could trot like that all day. It just looked like he <laughs> just just can re- repeat that 
stride and just cruise along at that speed all day, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, it's shocking. He could, um, he could stay well and sprint. He could sort of had everything, really. And magnificent stride he had. Brian, we have to get to a break, so just hold fire there, and we'll come back, and we're going to join you once again shortly. And we will go through a few more uh, amazing story, this of the great Mary's Idol. We'll be back with more on the story of arguably our greatest ever horse and definitely our greatest ever trotter, Mary's Idol. Welcome back to Trot's Life and such a pleasure this has been so far chatting with Brian Healy and well there was probably so much more to Brian's career in harness racing than just one horse but he was one horse out of the box the horse will never see again Mary's Idol and Brian, we've gone through many of his race wins and, you know, he was Australian Harness Horse of the Year. He won the Dallard Cup off 40 metres. He won a Hamilton Cup. But in your memory, was there one race that stands out in your mind that was his greatest effort? Yeah, definitely. Um, the night he beat Roma Hanover in Brisbane. Yeah. So- Roma, Roma Hanover was probably at her best around that time and... Um, She'd just recently gone 157 in Harold Park before she went up there. And um, the broadcaster sort of thought Romano was going to go past him, but he just he just drew away from her and it was a fantastic win. Yeah, we had uh, Brian uh, Gath on last week talking about Mark Avina, who won an Inter Dominion. And at the opening night at Mooney Valley, he beat Roma Hanover in the inaugural Mooney Valley Cup. Were you... We, did you happen to be there? Oh, yeah. Were you were you there the opening oh, night at Mooney oh, Valley? I would. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just don't remember that race exactly, but yeah, he won. He had eighteen starts at Mooney Valley. Mary's old. He won sixteen of them. Was that his favourite track in a sense, or you know, was to the memories of Mooney Valley just stand over and above a lot of other places? Oh. Oh yeah, I suppose that was headquarters, and um, that's going to be your your favourite hunting ground, isn't it? Yeah. To to think back in the day, and, and you've we've mentioned this a few times. He only earned ninety eight thousand dollars in prize money, which actually equates, if you translate it through the inflation calculator, it works out to being about half a million in today's language, but. If he raced in today and was as dominant as he was, he'd be a two, two and a half million dollar earner. Did he? The, the, yeah. the, the finances of that, that hundred thousand, was that somewhat life changing to you or, or not uh, really? No, not really. I suppose it was handy, but um, it wasn't life changing. No, no. There was just, there just wasn't the opportunity in those days. And because so nowadays a, a good trotter could. Win a million and a half, two million, pretty easy. Yeah, like a standout trotter. Like yeah, like like a standout trotter. He wasn't a standout trotter. He was, in reality, on even marks. He was sixty, seventy meters better than any other trotter in in Australasia at the time. Yeah, yeah, probably right there. But it's a pity he didn't get the chance to go overseas. Really. Yeah. True. Um, was that ever was that ever in the mind or ever a thought? Oh, you couldn't send stallions overseas at that stage. There was um, 
breeding disease or some problem and um yeah, like like if him and Rip Van Winkle could have gone over to America, that would have been unbelievable. Yeah, they would have beaten. Would, we prob- well, we would have. We had the opportunity. We would have gone. Yeah. Nineteen seventy-eight. Uh, he ran in the Kilmore Cup, which is unfathomable as well. But he got injured uh, in nineteen seventy-eight in some way. Tell us about that injury, and we didn't see him for almost three years. Yeah. Well, he. Um, Developed arthritis in his um, fetlock joints, and um, uh, like I say, when he won that Dullard Cup, he was under a bit of pain, and um, it just sort of got worse and worse. And then we stood him at the stud, and there wasn't a lot of mares, trotting mares even around in those days. He probably only 30 to 40 mares was the most mares he got in a year, I think, and. Um, it made it pretty difficult because there wasn't the class of mares like there is nowadays to breed to a stallion like that. Yeah. But uh, so we so we um, got him back into work and um, he made that um, comeback. He um, one start and one win. But um, uh, look at that uh, replay of that race. He, he looked more like a mare in foal than he did <laughs> when he was racing. <laughs> but he done a great job to to. Um, to make a comeback, not many can come back and win first up. No, win at all. It's funny because I watched that replay, and not many can come back and win a race like that, hundred percent. Not many could win off that distance and beat them. No, but he didn't look himself. He didn't look anywhere near his brilliant best. He like he only beat him by seven or eight meters. It was a good trot of two, Cal Bryan, right. but he just didn't yeah, quite yeah. look himself. If that makes sense. Oh, no, he didn't look the same horse, really. So we decided straight away to um, put him back out, you know. Those sort of injuries, they don't really get over when they've got arthritis in their joints and that. He had a, a pretty successful stud career, really, over producing over 100 winners. But I think you tapped on something really interesting just before about the quality of broodmares. If he was around now and finished and dominated Australian harness racing the way he did back then, he would be serving 100 to 150 mares of the best quality trotting mares and it would be a dynasty he'd be creating like a better's delight, I would imagine. That's right, yeah. You, you, you've got to have that band of brood mares or you, you haven't got a hope in the world. A lot of them are probably pacing mares that went to him and, yeah. and uh, made it very difficult. Yeah, well, I, what, I, either way you want to look at it, Mary's Miss and Mary's Idol changed trotting and square gating in, a, in Australasia in no way that no other two horses have ever done in, in, in harness racing history in this part of the world. And I don't think anyone would disagree with that, Brian. Oh, no, but like you said earlier, really, Mary Miss has really um, yeah. been the backbone of the trotting breed the last 20 years, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's been amazing. Bill and Margaret Hansen ended up standing him for a long time, and the age of 34 years, Mary's idol passed away and got buried at Bendigo just as you walk into the track there, which is some sort of an honour too. Oh, that's right. It is. It's um, great to see him in a, in a position like that where people can see he's been laid to rest. Brian, mate, it's such a pleasure and a privilege to... Have you come on and share some thoughts about Mary's Idol to, 
I was born in 1980. My father owned a horse called Touch, Touch, uh, another Touch, and he was a pretty good trotter. And he was a brother to a horse called Touch Merchant. And watching old replays of a horse beat Touch Merchant by 100 metres is just unfathomable to me. And uh, to talk to you about it brings back a lot of memories for 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 me as a young bike, even going back to Mooney Valley in the 80s of horses like Scotch Notch, etc. But I wasn't around to see Mary's Idol, but so many people listening to this and they'll podcast it as well. We'll have so many fond memories and they'll be flashing back to them of, of the day they went and saw Mary's Idol or they watched him win a race on TV back in the day and they were reading about him in the paper or they saw that Queensland race. And harness racing's about today, but we've got to honour the past and it's been a privilege, mate, to honour the past with you today. Okay, thanks very much, mate. Good on you, Brian. There's... Brian Healy, a great of Australian harness racing and the story of the great Mary's Idol.